Hello, and welcome to Magical Mr. Misogyny, our first minisode. This minisode discusses a character study style fic that centres on Pansy Parkinson from Harry Potter. I'm Jean. And I'm Rebecca. And welcome to Trope is Fuck. What are we talking about? <laughs> this week is a mini-sode in that we'll probably talk for just as long, but it didn't take quite as much reading or research for us to put this together. Uh, the reason for this this week is that Jean has abandoned <laughs> me and us, deserting <laughs> all, all of our dear 10 listeners, and choosing <laughs> her family over us all for the week, which is devastating stuff. I'm a feckless bitch, I know. I, I will miss you enormously. I'll be using our Tumblr to feel very close to you from afar and pinging Rex at you for when we return to our normal schedule with enemies to lovers, uh, aka your whole fucking ship when I get back. <laughs> and I will be sending you 20 multi-arc radio fix for you to enjoy in the cold and dark times when you are missing me. That's all the time. All the time. <laughs> um, so, on to the fic. Well, yes! We're taking some time today to record a discussion of a real favourite of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, on a fic that falls, I guess, I suppose, in a category that we haven't really given much room to in our discussions and determinations, largely because so much of what we read is kind of pairings-based, and this is much less so. Yeah, that's right. So this week we want to talk about Ugly in Defence of Pansy Parkinson, which is by Dirge Without Music, um, Ink Splotch on Tumblr. And it belongs to a series by this author dirge without music called we must unite within her walls or we'll crumble from within and i want to read the description that's on uh, this collection of fix which is stories for the ladies of hogwarts who cry waver giggle trespass and who deserve our respect all the same that folks is a whole goddamn mood i love that so much as a description I, just like yeah actually Yes, but her story for Pansy has a really special place in my heart for a number of reasons. Um, one of them being that I don't think I ever thought about Pansy Parkinson after finishing reading the Harry Potter books, which it sh- we should also say, I haven't read a Harry Potter book in six years, mm. and I've not watched the films for quite some time. So we're, we're, we've done some research, but we've not not reread the books for this. We live mostly in fandom now anyway um and what a lovely place to live so one of the things that dirge without music does at the beginning of um this fic is include an interview with jk rowling where she said i loathe pansy so awful it's what a thing to say about a fictional character that you make who is not like vol you is it you're like you know she's not fenrir grayback right wing figure chewing people children yeah, and and I I think I think it is it provides an excellent frame for what this author does just so brilliantly in this fic, which is a, which is exactly that you know these women deserve our respect, uh, when they like Eve despite Pansy's trespasses, and it does a really wonderful job of that. Um, at the beginning of her others in this series, some of her others in this series, and I'm naming two. I cannot remember the names of them, but the one for Hannah Abbott and the one for Susan Bones. Did I ugly cry? Yes, I fucking did. Do I ugly cry every time I read them? Yes, I fucking do. Um, So she just lists the two or three things we know about them. And and that's also a whole mood. Like It's this acknowledgement that often what fit writers are able to do is see this potential that original writers have really just left in the margins. And this pansy story is exactly that. Yeah, I think that's the thing I found most powerful about this 
thick and that framing at the beginning that that interview with Draco where she said that she loathes Pranzi but you know protects her charming Draco is just absolutely baller I mean the <laughs> fart fact- noise and disbelief that's what I say about that but like this kind of idea of like perpetuating this like mean girl trope it's really women hating and just so kind of dire and unproductive and it just I think framing this fic with that in mm. mind and, and you know we don't care about authorial intent here we no don't. we do not yeah, but this idea that J.K. Rowling... <laughs> Canon? I don't even know her. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but this idea that J.K. Rowling, that she has such visceral hatred yeah. for this teenage girl yeah. is just so interesting, and it really does, I think, change how you then view Pansy looking yeah. back. And as you say, like I haven't thought about her as a character <laughs> since. She's not really yeah. in the films very much. No, God, I'm trying, actually. I think I think she's in a scene. Yeah, she has a couple of scenes. But I, can't, I can't even put a face to the name, yeah. like, for the for the film casting, which... It, exactly, because kind of Draco is the main kind of antagonistic yeah. force. Yeah. But in the book, she is so much more of a presence. Yeah, that is really... As it's just kind true. of, you know, unpleasant, snide, like ancillary figure and i think that then reading this fic made me do this sort of horrified gasp and go god so many models of our forgiveness in harry potter are reserved for men Mm. like we consistently see men being forgiven for everything from small offenses to just absolute bullshit oh my god i mean so many men in (laughs) harry potter do genuinely terrible things <gasps> and we barely get a second to even be angry about it or appreciate that that like the gravity of what they're they're doing yeah. before they automatically get forgiven or, or redeemed yeah. and i go even further almost to say that their forgiveness is often written in automatically in those moments where we discover their their wrongdoing mm, so mm. like we get implicit forgiveness for the fact that you know james is essentially just an asshole like when it. we find out he was a real bully mm-hmm. like at that stage mm-hmm. every character we know for about three or four books has been like telling us over and over again how he was so heroic he was such a good man and like harry has like built up this massive picture of him and it's told time and again so you know when we find out the kind of horrifying things like that he's done we're, we're almost built up already to be like oh no but you know he was ultimately this heroic and nice guy and like harry does yeah. question it but yeah yeah but like still like serious and rooms do just tell him it's just kids being kids and it's like well, kids being kids that doesn't mean that you can like you ring a classmate up by his ankles oh and, like, god and like, threaten talk. to remove his underwear like that yeah. that whole scene is fuck it like as reading that as a child was bad reading that as an adult horrifying. is it's fucking horrifying like yeah. it, it is assault and i think that is one of the things i mean by this like this distinction between bitchy spitefulness and mm. This kind of genuine violence against another child. Yeah. Um, but Pansy's not allowed to be a yeah. kid, and she is heinous. And we should never forget that. Um. Yeah. We we get we get explicit forgiveness for Remus accepting a narrative where his best friend slash boyfriend fight me about it, uh, murders people. Um. <laughs> yeah. Sirius is implicitly yeah straight up murder. He believes Sirius straight up murdered thirteen people. Um. Sirius is implicitly forgiven for being an asshole too, like James. And I've actually, I didn't even, when we were first writing my notes down, I didn't even write this, but sorry, Sirius nearly murders someone using Remus as a werewolf as a weapon. I mean, horrifying to his his friend and awful again to like... And being like, Snape. oh no, Remus, we don't see you as a monster, but I'm going to use you to kill a boy that I think is lame. Yeah. Fuck. 
fuck serious <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely terrible and that's the thing it's like you know then he later is you know a, a murdering psychopath in the eyes of everyone but you sit yeah. there and you're like well actually that yeah. kind of tracks and snape snape gets forgiven for being the fucking worst at pedagogy like despite everything else terrible teacher terrible teacher and you, you kind of forget also because in in the films it's slightly watered down but there are some I mean he lines. hits a child with a book he does hit a child with a book <laughs> that's the thing that happens yeah that is the thing that and happens that, and that folks is bad pedagogy <laughs> yeah yeah and probably illegal um, I don't know if that's illegal in the wizarding world. Uh, Maybe that trans. detentions happen in the Forbidden Forest yeah, and are supervised by someone who's like, take this cowardly dog. Bye. Yeah. Like, no. I'll I don't. take the book over the <laughs> over the forest. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. just absolutely terrible. And and he's forgiven for this because he made Lily his Patronus, which feels like the wizarding version of putting a photograph taken against someone's will in your wallet. So like, no, yeah. no. Full up stalker. Yeah. Yeah. And then even thinking about, you know, the less extreme versions. Yeah. You know, Ron and Harry also get forgiven for, you know, minor shortcomings. And then the more dramatic and kind of majorly overly kind of problematic treatment of Hermione, who's just this, like, bottomless resource and problem fixer. So much emotional labour. Like, <laughs> Hermione does so much emotional labour in those fucking books. Like, fuck. Too much. <laughs> and then Remus gets forgiven again. Oh, for God! <laughs> abandoning his child. Let's never forget. Abandoning his child. <sighs> And oh yeah, which by the way, Harry is like, my father would be ashamed of you. And we're like, is this the same father who hung people upside down by his ankles? Is that the same dude? We no. have many models for... Um, because by for, book seven, we've yeah. forgiven James, right? By book yeah. seven, James is back to being a hero. And like, it's like, oh, but he's human. It's like, oh, okay, good. Well, I'm glad he got to be human. Um, and then even Draco at the end, I mean, he gets to stand on the, the platform and, you know... He gets to have his his little family and and get that redemptive mm-hmm, moment, the mm-hmm. grudging nod of Harry and his family on the platform yeah. as you know old grudging acquaintances and you know that it's the bro nod. Gets, it's like the yeah yeah it's the nod the nod <laughs> exactly. But then Pansy's own creators like I still loathe her all these years. Yeah, we were, we were discussing this with your beloved, um, and he mentioned Ginny, and I think that is potentially quite an important point, like Ginny and her behaviour around the Chamber of Secrets, and that that's maybe a model for quite a serious female trespass that is granted forgiveness. I feel pretty strongly that Ginny gets forgiven because of this narrative surrounding the strength of Tom Riddle, um, and the ways his spirit has kind of inf- infused that Horcrux, and and this this idea of possession, and I think that's right. You know, her actions. I feel pretty strongly when I read it that Ginny's actions are are certainly very heavily influenced. And it's that it's right we should forgive her for them, for being a very young child under a very terrifying influence. And that, to some extent, it it takes away, or I feel that some of the parts of that narrative take away the human sense of the decision and make it influenced by dark magic, that it's Mm. not, she does not err because she is human. She errs because the object is magic. And our Slytherin children don't get that pass. Um, so please someone tell me I've missed something you know somebody give me the model where women are you know fuck up and are forgiven in, in Harry Potter and where they are granted redemption and people weep for them even though they're flawed where young women in impossible situations are treated like human beings and not monsters or Golgian statues that have been, been fossilised into shape at 11 and we're just given visions of how they grow and love and live with what they did not by forgetting but by remembering and changing and, and genuinely growing oh wait you know what that's what Dirge Without Music did, because, and I quote from her fantastic fic, you do not get to redeem 40-year-old stalkers on the grace of their undying obsessions and then leave young women out to rot. 
Fuck me, do I love fan fiction. Round of applause. Um, that is unlikely to be the only rant in this episode. Yeah. That's only the beginning of how we feel. Um, one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is, is pedagogical models and classroom culture. Problematic pedagogical models and where to find them. Yeah. <laughs> It's Hogwarts. It's a short answer. Hogwarts! Hogwarts is where you find them. It's just Eddie Redmayne standing outside Hogwarts going, oh no. (laughs) And potentially worth saying here as well that we've learned a lot about discussing Harry Potter from listening to the wonderful podcast Witch Please, uh, which we really recommend that you go and look at. Uh, Find it on Spotify, wherever you find your pods. But we are going to have a quick discussion about pedagogy uh, as this fic kind of reminded us about it. Um, I wanted to point out that what I think is so partly so great about this fic is it reminds us, and like really, not reminds, I mean emotionally grabs us by the chin and makes us look, to say there is a difference between the cruelty of children and the cruelty of adults. And it's not to say children can't be shitty. You know, I I really am not, I don't think either of us here want any part of this to read as an apology for bullying. Like, bullying is absolutely shite. Um, and if, you know, if you have been through it, I think it is, it really does leave a really fucking scar. But one of the things that we need to think about when we consider the behaviour of children is the behaviour of the adults in the spaces in which they educate them and the cultures of those spaces. So in other words, Pansy is a dick, for sure. But she's also getting a significant amount of information about how to treat those around her from the adults around her. Mm. That's obviously parents, but it's also teachers. And that's because classrooms are fundamentally social spaces and the education that happens within them is shaped by the social relationships in them. So it's one of the reasons why, you know, physical space in a classroom is never an idle question because it sends a message about what kind of relationships happening here and how a teacher might relate to their students. So if you teach in rows, you've got one message going on, etc. Um, and Snape is a fucking black hole of nightmares when it comes to pedagogy. He continually picks on failure. And not even failure. He picks on mistake and labels it failure. He calls out student weakness. He dismisses his own students as know-it-alls. And that is bullshit. He's her head of house, right? Arguably the embodiment of what being Slytherin means to those students. And he says it is absolutely fine to victimise and trample people. And as the fic says, this isn't a request for sympathy because it's not trying to excuse what Pansy does as right by any means. But it's trying to acknowledge some of Pansy's reasons and that some of those reasons have been created by the school system in which she grew up. 100%. And I think the fact that it's a boarding school as well. This isn't just a school that they go to and they go home and they get a different model mm. of, you know, parenting mm. or, or authority figures. You know, this is a place where all of their growing into who they are as people happens. And yeah. so, like, their interactions with each other and their interactions with their authority figures mm-hmm. in the teaching staff around them yeah. are even more important because they're sh- they have such a greater role when shaping that day-to-day kind of growing at a really kind of foundational time yeah absolutely and I mean I think yeah no I just I completely agree and I think you know the fact that he is her head of house like he's also the person responsible for for example the dungeons which is not just a common room but is also the place they sleep like it's a really pastoral role yeah and this is the model of what that looks like for her and for her fellow Slytherins and that is not to say that no child can make better choices than Pansy does under those conditions I don't think we're trying to argue that at all nor do I think this fic is trying to argue that I really don't but I think it is trying to say you know let's 
treat her as a human being and give her some reasons and then let's see how she measures up in later life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I promise I'm going to talk about the characterization of Pansy in this fic, uh, which I I do love. But I think in general it's worth saying that the characterization of, of women, and it's multiple women passing the Bechtel test, being different and valuable for their differences in this fic and this series as a whole, is just... It's incredible. And it's definitely, you know, refreshing in Harry Potter. But let's face it, mm. most of the conversations that happen are about Harry mm-hmm. at all times. And it's partly yeah. because this is told from Harry's perspective. So mm-hmm. he is obviously at the centre of his yeah. own universe. <laughs> and is literally the, the golden chosen child as he keeps, you know, it, as he himself reminds I'm people at times. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think you're right that, that, yeah. that actually... The nice thing about fic is, and this particular fic is, it does bring multiple women together mm-hmm. who are more and less prominent, you know, in the, the kind of canonical books, and that does something interesting with them. Yeah, I think I completely agree. For like, for example, Ginny, who's quite prominent in this fic, has a really prominent role in the books. But I love the vision of Ginny in this fic. I love her. I I love how she does have this edge, and Dirge Without Music gives it in very different ways. <sighs> to all of the women that she focuses on, but that it's that there is something you get a sense of, and as I say, it is different for each of the women in each of the fics, but you get a sense of the the things they've had to develop because their world is bullshit. So when Pansy is, is sent a rat mm-hmm. and it's left on her desk at the Daily Prophet, and uh, she says, she asks Ginny if she sent it, and Ginny's response is, I would have signed it. I get chills. You know, that's a Ginny I, I've got a lot of time for. I think, I mean, Ginny's a Gryffindor, right? She yep. also is, like, pretty badass. Like, yeah. We don't see her, obviously, during the seventh book because we're with Harry Ron, Marnie running about in the woods. Yeah. But, you know, she and Neville are mm-hmm. leading this incredible kind of, you know, insurgents almost yeah. at yeah. Hogwarts where they're fighting against, you know, these, these terrible teachers and the Carrows and this really oh, oppressive God, yeah. regime. This sort of horrible insurgency they're having to run. It's like yeah. gorilla And they're getting war. people out. It's a war. And, you know, they you see the kids who are, you know, like Neville is like black and blue yeah. is how they describe him and, and Judy kind of is the same. She's got this incredible grit to her. Yeah. And, you know, I think we forget that often and I think also partly we forget that because she becomes this figure of domesticity in terms of how she marries Harry that awful scene at the end of the seventh film where (laughs) yeah they're on the platform and they've like CGI aged them and everyone just looks dowdy everyone's wearing brown (laughs) beige everyone is so like Like, why is it sepia (laughs) the whole scene is sepia and it's actually thinking about that thing about seeing Draco right is that he's actually looking cracking like it's basically Tom Felton he's already been like riding that bike yeah it's Tom Felton in like a really sharp black suit with like light eye bags <laughs> like that's what's happening and then Ron is just, just a sea of brown like... yeah and he's like hunched over side and he's got like a beer belly oh god and it just you know what I mean and like Ginny in particular that scene, yeah. she's just she's fussing I think over the children and she's just I just yeah. it takes all of that like all of her sting and she has war so heroes. they are war heroes yeah and you she, would not know it and she has it in the book I mean that bit where Harry is like maybe I'm possessed and she's like like, yeah, I'd hate to know what that's like. Like, Ginny oh, yeah, claps back. And yeah. she, you know, and I think this is the thing. So she's not forgiving in this fic. And nor should she be. I mean, mm. Ginny is someone who has been victimised 
by people like Pansy. Like, she's not forgiving. She's not nurturing. But she... And she's not soft or receptive. But she isn't vindictive either. No. You get this sort of... This real sense of her as someone who is intellectually interested in how this is going to turn out. And I'm always, like, interested in that. And that that's consistent with her job, where she's a sports columnist, as well as her past as a DA general. And there's a paragraph in which both of those ideas are mentioned almost in the same breath. And it's that Ginny is both. She's both of these things. And there's it's just... Just throughout, I think, this immense sense of, like, multiplicity and... Female multiplicity and female fucking graft that I just adore. Yeah, the women can be multiple things and can be complex and have complex feelings and can change. Yes. And yeah. can feel multiple things at multiple times. Unlike Harry. <laughs> Emotional range of a teaspoon. I think that's actually, isn't that what Hermione says about Ron at one point? But uh, but also, there's a line in it about, like, this isn't deceit when a snake sheds its skin. Mm. It is because it has outgrown it. And that we have to normalise outgrowing our previous beliefs and changing our beliefs in the face of new information and getting better and improving ourselves. And that that's not about deceiving people about what we used to be like or lying about our past or ignoring those things it's a way to acknowledge and to grow um and i think i think we've been taught generally to see female sharpness as vicious Mm. and i just really love that this fic takes pansy's sharpness and takes the traits that clearly make jk hate her and shows how they might with the right conditions and the right input from pansy herself be valuable Mm. and there's this fantastic line she was supposed to be cold that was the point of her a sharp edge, a chill down your spine. She was unkind. She could not run away from that, the cruel barbs she'd spat out all her life. She was turning them other places now, useful ones instead of easy targets, but this was still her life. Her core held no light. But then the next paragraph is about her sitting on the floor with Scorpius and Astoria and Draco, and knowing that that warmth she feels there is not new to her, that she felt it as a child with her friends in Slytherin, and that she she can have this life now that is filled with these rich friendships and this laughter and this friendship with Ginny and these friendships with um, Padma and Pavati, and remember the ways in which she had friendships that were valuable when she was young, even if those people were dreadful. Yeah, She can still value those in, in some ways. It all comes back to, doesn't it, to this idea of, like, I hate people who kind of go, that I'm just honest, I tell it how it is, and I don't really care about other people's feelings, because I think that isn't productive. I don't see how, like, that should be a trait that we admire. But when it be- when it comes to talking about women, yeah. and particularly women in workplaces, oh, or God. in, you know, when they get become older, I think particularly, this idea that, like, actually cutting through the bullshit and being mm. like it's not about being kind of you know barbed it's just about being like I don't have I'm not going to participate in the 20 rounds of excuses or softening my language so it's more palatable to you because I'm just making a point and I think actually like and this idea of her as a writer as well yeah. being like I'm going to yeah. use this to get to the heart of the issue is quite interesting mm. and and and, and I'm, yeah, I'm sure I'm Hansi's life in this fic, she does have moments where she falls into those old patterns of behaviour. But this idea, again, that, like, as you say, she can live 
an interesting and full and you know, loving life still. Yeah. Is is warming for the reader as it is for yeah. her. Yeah. I think and I think this sense yeah, just this this story about growth. And it it's the same in each of the fics in this series, honestly. They really are these stories about how do you grow out of the story that is the Harry Potter, the seven book series of Harry Potter. You know, how do you move on? And actually, you know, the thing about the 19 years later is it skips the the, the bit that now as an adult I'm most interested in, which is that that growing. And there's a line in the in the Parvati fic. Um, yeah, so the, in this fic, there is a line that uh, destroyed me and I was not expecting it to destroy me. Um, and it's a fic about, about Parvati, but it's also about lavender. And we're, I just think, it's, we are absolutely encouraged to think of Lavender as silly and ridiculous, kind of especially in the films, but also in the books, where she's this girl who's obsessed with divination, which is something we are encouraged to think of as stupid, mm. I think, uh, and with romance, where um, Pavati is looking at a photograph of Lavender and Trelawney, and the line is, Lav was sneaking a glance up at her teacher, eager and bright. She had wanted a future so badly. I mean, I'm going to have to lie down for a minute and close my eyes because I think that is so it is so brilliantly represents what Dirge Without Music does in these this series which is give us some humanity to the women behind the sort of stereotypes that we get mm. I was saying to you earlier as well something that really struck me that I hadn't thought about before is it's always women taking down other women mm-hmm. in Harry Potter. So, like, even if I just go off, off the top of my head, right, mm-hmm. Hermione takes down, um, like, Lavender Brown as, like, this love rival triangle yeah. thing, which is deeply beneath all of them. Gotcha. Um, Granger Danger, you're better than that. Exactly. Um, um, listen to Witch Please for more discussions of Granger Danger. Witch Please. God, we love Witch Please. Arthur. Fantastic. Um, well, they're better at this than we are. <laughs> and then you get Molly Weasley takes down Bellatrix. Oh, and in the film where it's translated into that "not my daughter, you bitch," and it's like I love that actress uh, whose name escapes me. Julie. Julie Walters. Walters yeah. I love Julie Walters, right? And I like her vision of Molly Weasley, but I mean that has that. I mean that's a little mini feminist discussion of like oh, characterization all in itself. Oh, <laughs> But yeah, even things like, you know, Hermione taking down Rita Skeeter. Yeah. There's so many models where it's like women take down other women. Hermione taking down Marietta Edgecombe, which is the thing that's referenced in this fic. And I think it's, I think the reference to it in this fic is really brilliant, actually. Yeah. I think the thing that I keep returning to is just, Mm. it's what you touched on earlier, is Pansy's just a child who's making choices. Mm. And if we all held ourselves up to this kind of type of standards that these children are being asked to live up to in Harry Potter, we'd all fail. You know, they're not just kids living their lives in schools. They are literally in the midst of a war where children are literally at the heart of this epic battle over good versus evil Mm. and everything is black and white when it obviously isn't. Mm. Um, And, you know, you're you're asking kids to, to make the right the perceived right choices when they're scared um and this is a huge and complicated thing is yeah. is is incredible to me and i think you know, this leads me on to my main point and title of my ted talk <laughs> you know why setting people's personalities as fixed traits at 11 may not be a healthy way to either create societies or run schools yeah <laughs> like, okay I mean, so absolutely. Also, for more information, see the grammar school system. Oh my god! Yeah. Thank yeah. God I didn't have to do that. 
Thank God. <gasps> I mean, I think this thing has some really beautiful moments of reflection mm. and like opportunities where characters are allowed to grow. So yeah. you mentioned that the point where Pansy receives that dead rat at her office, which is horrifying. Mm. And she immediately thinks about how Hermione received kind of quite similar disgusting mail. She, I think she was like pussing a letter. Yeah. When Pansy was feeding all of these um, lies to Rita Skeeter, who then like published lots of you know yeah. trash um, in the in the Daily Prophet about her relationship with Harry. Yeah, yeah, crumb. yeah. And you know, Pansy feels this real genuine regret and contrition for her actions, and you know, you're starting to see this kind of very gradual realization of what she's done and how she needs to own up for the those failings. I think as well, like it's really interesting in that moment because. She even she acknowledges as well that she's not entitled to un- to to use how horrible she feels in that moment to understand Hermione's feelings because she says you know they're sending her a dead rat for things she actually did mm. they sent Hermione what they sent her because of lies Pansy told like she's mm. she does not try nor does the author at any point try to erase any of the senses in which those Pansy's past behaviour is incredibly problematic and and cruel and vicious a hundred percent and I think that ownership point is really key because I would argue that the house system in Harry Potter mm-hmm. really creates this model where traits and personalities are fixed which therefore gives characters this like green light and right to really like just relieve themselves of any sense of control or responsibility for their actions and it halts any kind of genuine emotional growth mm-hmm. I mean you know Gryffindors are a bit jock-like and insensitive sometimes you know that's just how they are those those little rascals and Slytherins are you know straight up evil and often right-wing maniacs sometimes I mean sure uh, yeah, it's a ridiculously <laughs> oversimplified system which we've spoken about many times and like although it's kind of you know in many ways like a really fun mechanic right it's yeah great yeah to do a quiz and like find out what house you're in and to think about how you'd fit there. But I think the real issue is that for ancillary characters mm. in Harry Potter, their house system does them such a massive disservice because it allows J.K. Rowling to do some really lazy storytelling. She can essentially just rely on these mm. tropes and not do any meaningful character development. So Pansy is just a bitch. She's a spiteful girl who'll do anything to save her own skin. And, you know, in reality of course she's just a scared child in the middle of the war and she makes bad choices Mm -hmm. and she makes choices that she makes because she you know is in these structures around her and we can explore that in a way that is more interesting and that's exactly what this fic does you know this fic points that makes a comparison between pansy the squeak in pansy's voice and the tattoo on draco's arm and says you know these are both a form of terror and that Again, it is not forgiving those decisions. Mm. But what it is what it is doing is exploring there's a great thing about a great line about um serious you know, let's give Pansy a family as black as serious is. Like there are no excuses, but there are reasons. So let's give her some reasons. And mm. I I just feel having heard you just say that, I think, you know, would we would we loathe Pansy had she done the same thing but been in Ravenclaw? Yeah, we'd probably be like, well, the, you know, she's making a lot... I mean, there's a great line in this fic mm-hmm. where she talks about, you know, Pansy's the one who, at, at the end of the seventh book, suggests they give up Harry. Yeah. And that she's she's making a choice to try and, you know, trade one soul for the lives of, you know, hundreds, maybe yeah. more. And, you know, 
I feel like if she'd been Ravenclaw, we would have said, well, that's classic Ravenclaw making classic a really pragmatism. logical choice. Mm. But because it's Pansy and because she's in Slytherin, she is doing it because she yeah, is evil saving her own skin. And yeah. I think the fact that McGonagall is the person who sends the Slytherins oh. to the dungeons and rejects them, the yeah. whole house, shows how embedded the way that this system is, mm-hmm. that even mm-hmm. the teachers who are adults, who logically know that people change... Mm-hmm. And people grow, and of course, not a quarter of your intake every year are just evil kids, <laughs> which is essentially what you have to believe. Yeah, if you like if you allow just... this model where Slytherins yeah. are just evil, yeah. you know, offspring of pure blood who are here to like obviously be on the side of Voldemort, and, and it's ridiculous. It, and you know, and this is this is where like we will we will we we have planned we will do an episode about Hogwarts AU's, which we love, like we do love, and. And we have our own opinions about what houses we are in. And indeed, you know, you are a Slytherin. Yeah. But you're not a fascist. Yes, I and you're not, like, <laughs> made that clear. Like, not to fascist. be clear, not a murdering fascist. Rebecca, not a murdering fascist. Disclaimer. <laughs> Similarly, like, I am a Ravenclaw. But, like, I'm also sometimes nice to people because there aren't actually just four... Types yeah. of children, clever, yeah. evil, brave, and misc. I mean, literally, <laughs> oh, I mean, it's this idea that Slytherin, like when yeah. we talk about the houses, they they really clearly set up this thing where it's like you know, Slytherins are ambitious or mm-hmm. whatever. Obviously, the founder of the ultimate founder of their house has some deeply problematic views, which bleed yeah, in massive racist fascists. Exactly, which bleed Bad. into a lot of the stuff around their house. Yes, and this idea of you know there's not been an evil wizard that wasn't in Slytherin. I mean, I'm not sure we can fact check that. Okay, but also, when Hagrid says that right, Sirius Black is in Azkaban yeah. for the murder of 13 people. Now, if that doesn't make you evil under Har- under Hagrid's definition, right, then I'm unclear what metric he is using. Because in that vision, right, Sirius is a Death Eater, and he is from Gryffindor. Um, so, Hagrid, yeah. you're wrong. <laughs> I think it's your wormtail. A Gryffindor, yeah. who is the right-hand man, who literally oh. brings the Dark mm-hmm. Lord back from mm-hmm. the dead. A Gryffindor. I yeah. mean, this idea that, like, you know... I mean, it's just wrong. Yeah, I mean, name a Hufflepuff traitor, though. I'll wait. I will fucking wait for you to name someone from Hufflepuff who isn't an angel. And I, what, I, <laughs> what I love about this fic as well is it's so nice to see Pansy having this quite tentative but growing friendship with Ginny, who's a person that she literally would mm-hmm. never be allowed to like or get to know within the Hogwarts or Harry Potter canon. Harry Potter canon yeah. Because the house system is so destructive. Yes. Because it throws up these barriers between people that didn't exist before that. I mean, you, you, the example you've just given about Hagrid and, and saying that to Harry. Before Harry, Harry doesn't yeah. know anything about Hogwarts. He knows nothing. But he is literally being told by yeah. a, an adult. An adult and a kind of teacher esque figure. Who I mean, he becomes a teacher in the does. third book. Yeah, but um, he's, but he, you know, he's an authority figure yeah. within the school. And like, he's, he's the gatekeeper for Harry's he's the custodian for um, knowledge of this world. Yeah, he's, absolutely, he's, he's like, Harry's broker in lots of ways. His early broker for, for magical exactly. understanding. And so he's like, Slytherin's are evil. And then when he meets Draco in those really initial scenes, and he, Draco's like, I'm, I think he makes a comment, I think, about, you know, you like, I want to be in Slytherin. You must be friends with the right sort of people. Exactly. <laughs> and Harry's got this such fixed impressions. Not, like, let's yeah. face it, Draco is being as tall. Oh, but he's I, being yeah. at all. He's not at that point a Slytherin yet. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, he's just a tool. He's just a tool. Like, he's a tool. And <laughs> Sorry, did we mention he was a tool? But also, he's a tool. Because do you know who is a massive fucking tool? His dad. And, like, yeah. the films. By the way, in the films, <laughs> where Lucius almost had a cadaver as a child. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> within the school grounds, this man almost murders a child for freeing his slave elf. Oh, God. That is what happens there. Well, I mean, and, like... <laughs> and then we're like, how did Draco turn out so mean? And it's like, well, his father's a fucking psycho, so <laughs> maybe that's a contributing factor. I'm also <laughs> I know that now we're going on a tangent, but I don't think putting a house in the dungeon sends a good message about oh. unity. Oh my god, I saw, I read once a great fanfic that I, that actually, I can't remember which one it was, because I've read so many Hogwarts AUs in, in my time, but it was one where the, um, the Slytherin common room, because you know everyone talks about it being really cold, yeah, in the yeah, dungeons, yeah. but actually the, there was one where it was like, for Slytherins, the room sets itself at the temperature that they're comfortable at. So each person gets to be... Joe! Yeah. I swear, like, the temperature... I am never the right temperature. I have never once been the correct temperature. Right now, I am far too warm, and you are under a duvet. Like, I don't... How is... What... How do you be... That is the only thing I want. I would be in Slytherin just for that. Like, I would be... Not the Slytherin of J.K. Rowling because it's obviously fascist and terrible. But the, the you know I would be I would be so swayed by a house that was the right temperature for me. But like, isn't that adorable? It's fucking like this great. Idea that I love you're that. In a space that is, you know, everyone's like, oh, they're in the dungeons, and it's this beautiful yeah. like hardwood everywhere. Ooh. You've got you've got the Great Lake, like like view of the Great Lake under exposed, the Great Lake, exposed rock. Like exposed we love that. Rock. That's it's very grand designs. Like exactly, <laughs> and it's and it's like it's perfect for you, and it's a home mm. for you. I thought that was just so nice. Yeah, I really love adorable. that. Actually. I'm gonna have to dig that. You're out gonna have to. I, I think as well, it, it actually really picks up on a thing that happens in this fic when they're discussing how snakes warm up mm. the idea of the snakes curled together and that Pansy's loyalty to Draco is as unthinking as Hermione's to Harry and it is as in many ways is as kind like her her trying to make sure he's alright is still a kind action like you know even though he's a prick and it he is I mean that is a boy who would be like I invented the turtleneck under robes and you'd be like no you didn't like clearly you didn't um, um, but the bit I mean, before we went on this this, <laughs> this uh, side road, um, like there's a bit in this fic where they talk about how Pansy used to grow up with um, the Patils, mm. and like they were all friends, their families mm. knew each other. And there's this incredible line where she says something like, "You know, they choose they chose their colours and their scarves, and the kind of rest was history." This idea that yeah. they were friends before and they never really spoke after they were sorted, which is just kind of madness. And it also really makes me wonder about how the house system lives on for the young people of the Harry Potter world. I mean, we generally speaking get to leave our 11 to 17 year old selves behind. Forgive ourselves for that yeah. and leave that squarely in yeah. the past and something we bring up in anecdotes. But I mean, the wizarding world is so small and close knit. That's the real feeling we get. And, you know, I wonder, I mean, presumably people remember if you were a Slytherin or a Ravenclaw, and does that impact your life choices or options? Like, do you get asked it in job interviews? God, like, yeah, like imagine instead of a Myers-Briggs, you know. Yeah. It's just, 
I'm a Slytherin. I don't yeah. like Myers Briggs, but like fucking hell. Yeah, but you can imagine a world, right? Yeah, but they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, like, but you're a Ravenclaw, so therefore you're probably more qualified for this job. I mean, I don't know, but and it certainly feels like this kind of cult like ceremony yeah. at age 11 yeah. has not only a profound impact on your, your present, but mm-hmm. also your future, and that potentially it massively alters the way that you kind of grow up and navigate the world at a really critical time where you're finding yourself and you're thinking about you know who you are and who you'll become and yeah. everyone's telling you that you are this one thing so if you're a Slytherin like a pansy you're basically being told that you know, this is how you are and it gives you no yeah. scope for growth and that's why you, you've got to want to be in Hufflepuff right yeah. Because the thing yeah. is, the Hufflepuff traits are the least defined. So I will, I will genuinely just say again, read Dirge Without Music's, um, the one on Susan Bones and the one on Hannah Abbott. I think they are called, I'm going to fight, yeah, Wallflower in defence of Susan Bones and Naive in defence of Hannah Abbott. The Hannah Abbott one is, uh, is brilliant because it, it starts with the murder of Cedric Diggory. And with Dumbledore calling Diggory brave, and with Hannah Abbott being outraged because he gives him a Gryffindor word, and he says, you couldn't, she says, you couldn't think of a better word for him than that. Like, and it just, it's so great. And there's also a line in one of them, which is particularly pertinent to what you were just saying, where it says, the one chooses the wizard, but it is the wizard who chooses the house. We're not your cast-offs, we're the people who didn't choose you. In short, don't trust people who aren't in Hufflepuff. Tonks is in Hufflepuff. Need I say any more? Need we say more? Yeah. Well, I guess that's our show. Um, our thanks to our writer this week, Dirge Without Music, for creating things that have brought us such joy. We'll post a link to their Tumblr and AO3 in our episode post this week, so you can all go and revel in the excellence that is their writing. Follow us on Tumblr at TropusFuck and on Spotify. You can use the messaging or the Ask Us Anything function on our Tumblr to send us your thoughts, recs, questions, or you know, just send her a message um, via our Gmail, tropushell at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you about literally anything, you know, what you thought about our episodes, especially if you'd like us to, you know, talk about fictional characters and our imaginal imagined relationships with them in our games of trope shag marry kill we are also now on AO3 ourselves and we're committed to no longer being AO3 lurkers which we have been for so much of our time so you can see who we're following and find us there and um, if we read your fic we're really committed to being people who comment because we know it means a huge amount to writers and you guys deserve loads of validation Uh, we're trope underscore as underscore pod on AO3 just to confuse you all I've been Rebecca I have been Jean and thank you for listening Thank you.